Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Well, who wouldn't like a crystal ball to look into the future and see what 2024 has in store for us? Humans tend to dislike the unknown. It's unsettling. But sometimes we need to let uncertainty take the wheel, says author and journalist Maggie Jackson. By craving predictability, we are squandering the gifts that being unsure can give us, like invention and resilience. Maggie looks at the science around a mindset that can help us cope in times of change. Her new book is called Uncertain, The Wisdom and Wonder of Being Unsure. And Maggie Jackson joins me now. Hi. Hi, great to be with you. I have to ask, did you start this book with a level of certainty about your own purpose and, and perhaps end up with something different? Yeah, no, I, I was not certain, but I did start with a different idea of a book about thinking in the digital age, uh, pretty vague. And the first chapter was about uncertainty. And for various reasons, including the exploding uh, science around this topic, it became the whole book. Yeah, great. And and when I say that humans don't like uncertainty, people probably relate to that. And, and you know, anyone can imagine that, that feeling of, I guess, emotional or mental discomfort, psychological discomfort. But it can be physically uncomfortable as well, true? Right, exactly. Uh, when you're uncertain, that's typically when you meet something, meet up with something new, unexpected, murky. And so literally there's a stress response um, because the humans evolved, like many organisms, to need answers, you know, in order to just survive. And so we have a stress response that might make our heart beat or our palms sweat but it also affects these tremendous changes in the brain. Hormones and neurotransmitters are making your brain more receptive to new information at that point, at that moment. Uh, your working memory improves, your focus broadens. So as you can see from what I'm describing, uncertainty is actually considered good stress and it's a kind of wakefulness. You're on your toes. And so uh, it's actually an invitation. It's a signal, as one neuroscientist told me, uh, the, the, at this moment, the brain is telling itself there's something to be learned here. Mm. So it's a signal that something might be off or maybe it isn't. But in any case, you need to update your idea of the world. You need to contend with what it, whatever it was that, you, that prompted this uncertainty. And you found this great Wittgenstein, uh, Wittgenstein quote, uh, he said, I know seems to describe a state of affairs which guarantees what is known, guarantees it as a fact. But one always forgets the expression, I thought I knew. And we do gravitate, don't we, towards people who seem certain of themselves. What are the consequences of that? Well, I mean, yes, we place the leaders, the surgeons, the you know people in our society on a pedestal when they're certain and instantly so. And that has tremendous costs. 
uh, you know, experts who are sure of themselves tend to fall into what's called carryover mode, for instance. They're just uh, relying on old knowledge to solve new situations. Uh, whereas adaptive experts spend more time assessing, diagnosing a problem than even novices do. And this is true in finance, in sports, in uh, medicine and business. Uh, so the costs are huge when we rely on uh, certainty and, and which is AKA closed-mindedness in many, many ways. To be uncertain is highly related to being uh, curious, to being open-minded. In fact, there's a sort of personality disposition called tolerance or intolerance of uncertainty. Everybody falls somewhere on the spectrum mm. there. And those who are less tolerant of uncertainty, for instance, in the pandemic, tended to cope through denial, avoidance, and abusing substances. <laughs> Whereas those who are more open, more tolerant, so to speak, of uncertainty during the pandemic we're more accepting of the realities of the situation. That's why, again, why I call it wakefulness because your eyes are open when you're uncertain and you are actually in the space of possibilities that you that then can be more uh, appropriate for whatever's going on. Um, just talking about facts, uh, uncertainty was part of life when I was growing up and you weren't sure what a certain song lyric was or perhaps where a certain... Um, travel memory had happened exactly in a place that you'd been to. Now, of course, you just look it up on Google um, and you can find out for sure. Has that been a bit of an enemy of the right state of mind? Was there? Did there used to be more uncertainty before the era of global search engines? Sure. Well, uh, scientists are just beginning to unpack that question, so we're not quite sure. Oh, no pun intended. But in any case, mm. uh, there are some studies that indicate that uh, intolerance of uncertainty, that is seeing uncertainty as a threat and being fearful of it, has actually risen, uh, particularly among young people, in, step by, uh, in parallel with uh, the rise of uh, penetration or ad adoption of uh, devices such as smartphones and the internet. Uh, so, and we can see, you know, even from how, the, what the internet looks like, it's dispensing this steady stream of instant pat answers. Uh, you know, we're sort of fall into the guise of, um, even studies show that just a brief search online leaves people thinking they know more than they do. In other words, they lose the idea that they don't know. And that's uh, really uh, undermines your ability to learn and grow because learning occurs at the edge of what you know. In other words, it's called the zone of proximal development. A scientist likened it to me to the green bud on a tree. So you don't learn when you're thrown in at the deep end. You don't learn when you stick with what you know. You learn when you incrementally push forward uh, and expand your knowledge, trying new things, being at the edge of the frontier of the unknown. And that's exactly where uncertainty puts you. Yeah, and the people who are certain, uh, who, who who act like they're certain, are rewarded. They're rewarded on Twitter and they're rewarded in newspaper columns and they're rewarded as uh, TV personalities, right? The person who is most sure of themselves rises to the top of all the noise. Well, yes, uh, we do in our culture really, uh, you know, venerate certainty right now. In fact, studies show that political or uh, business leaders 
who are seen being just a trifle bit unsure when they're confronting a new complex problem, I emphasize new complex problem, they are actually seen as less influential. But my argument is, and the science certainly shows, that we're missing the boat here. We really have to change our attitudes that, you know, the, the idea that uncertainty is synonymous with weakness and paralysis is just not true. In fact, you know, after that kind of spur, that provocative moment when you're wakeful and you're being invited to learn, uh, you know, when you're feeling uneasy and, and on your toes, then you actually can inhabit the space of possibilities that is uncertainty. In other words, uncertainty is not just a, a sort of a, a prompt, a nudge into better learning. Uh, it's also the space in which uh, you are learning. And so, in other words, the instant answer, uh, you know, there's no room between the question and the answer if you shut down and go for instantaneity. If you expand that space, that's where the action happens. And, um, you know, CEOs now, according to a, a real gold standard study, who are more ambivalent in a high stakes crisis, hmm. actually are more resourceful. It's a European Union study um, during an expansion of the market. They were more resourceful. They were also more inclusive. The, the ambivalent CEOs, the one who weren't sure that it was going to go one way or the other way, were the ones who were inviting different opinions. So that's another really important point in our polarized society, that a little uncertainty about your point of view can open up a discussion and actually help you uh, begin to learn mutually from one another instead of seeing the person you disagree with as just this fountain of wrong. <laughs> I'm talking to journalist Maggie Jackson. Her new book is called Uncertain, The Wisdom and Wonder of Being Unsure. It's a great topic, and I wonder if we need to um, rethink our intuitive uh, feeling towards certainty, Maggie. The people who seem certain often seem strong. But I wonder if there is more courage in sitting on the fence, more courage in acknowledging uncertainty in a situation. And I guess I'm talking about our leaders and uh, the people we hear from the most. Yes, and I think that is such a great question. I love the way you phrased it. I think of uncertainty as a form of honesty. Because when you're uncertain, you're actually owning up to the fact that A, life is unpredictable and, and, and life is imperfect and so are we. And that is the reality. Uh, and and science, clinical psychologists say a lot of root of anxiety and depression, et cetera, may be caused by uh, that intolerance of uncertainty. Um, so I think the other really important point is that in this time of flux, and we are um, experiencing rising volatility in the climate, uh, in our economics, uh, we're experiencing wars, etc. We all yeah, elections are, are up for grab. Autocracy is in this in this incredible volatile situation. Uncertainty is highly linked to cognitive skills such as curiosity, agility, for all the reasons I've talked about, resilience. It's actually related to resilience if you can tolerate and be open to uncertainty. So these are the, this, the mindsets, the skills that we need in a time of flux. If we retreat into what Dewey, the philosopher, called the quest for certainty that has kind of ruled at least the West and for hundreds of years, we're actually not going to be able to solve the problems of our day. And this is both on a meta level and also in an individual level, because uncertainty is really related to human flourishing. 
I mentioned courage before. I should say that uh, you know all about courage because you're an ocean swimmer in the freezing Atlantic of all places. Yes, well... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't disagree that it, it, it has, <laughs> it has given me. I, I don't consider myself a courageous person, but just doing it in the, it was a sort of a pandemic hobby. Uh, but just doing this uh, because the pools closed, uh, you know, four seasons a year, almost every day, uh, has, in a sense, sort of, you know, pushed my courage in a, in an upward direction. You might say, I call it my daily dose of uncertainty because you can look at the app. You can know the beach, you can know the conditions, what they're likely to be, but you get down there and there might be churn where you never saw it before. The waves are different than what the app predicted. In When you're in the water during those 30 minutes, the conditions change. Sometimes we're swimming a little bit before sunrise. It's so beautiful. And when the sun comes over the horizon, again, you just don't know how things are going to change. And to be steeped in that in such a joyful, exhilarating, wonderful way is actually one of the um, treatments for highly intol- high intolerance of uncertainty in clinical situations now. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, psychologists are beginning to actually do interventions and successfully treat anxiety and build mental well-being through getting people to try a little bit more of the unknown. You know, if you are a control freak at work, you might just try delegating more, which is a you know sort of seeding possible uh, control of what's going to happen. It's more uncertainty for you, but then you find out that uncertainty isn't necessarily a disaster. It could be, it could open up a lot of different possibilities. It's not even, it's not weakness either. So, and also it's wonderful you mentioned courage because there was a a, a program at Maine Medical Center here in the United States to teach young doctors to be more comfortable with uncertainty. And after the program ended, and, and it included, you know, actually young, older doctors teaching the younger doctors to that it's okay to say, I don't know, which is pretty amazing in medicine, pretty rare. Mm. And so the doctors um, at the end of the program scored much higher on tolerance of uncertainty. And they told me, many of them uh, who I talked to said it gave us courage because we knew we could consider and reconsider a problem. We gained courage because we're really dealing with the situation rather than retreating into and hiding in our certainties. Could you give us an example, uh, perhaps a famous example of uncertainty paying off? Well, yes. Um, Martin Luther King, on the day of his phenomenal I Have a Dream speech, August 1963, during the March of Washington, did not actually quite know what he would say, even as he ascended the dais to give his remarks on that day. Uh, the, The mood was tense. The civil rights movement was fractured. He had stayed up long into the night uh, redrafting and drafting, and he gathered lots and lots of perspectives from different advisors, which is what you can do in uncertainty. And he and then he got up there and he put aside the the rough notes that he had and uh, and then basically improvised. And in the, you know, sort of nebulousness uh, in the telling, in the in the speech itself, he was actually being so he was able to be in tune with the moment with that incredibly complex moment, because he didn't just deliver a script, nor did he offer neat pat answers saying, hey, we've got this, we're going to fix civil rights. 
He didn't offer that kind of thing. He didn't rest on past glory. He left the road open and everyone was inspired to follow him. And that's one of the powerful parts of that. I have a dream speech to this day. That's one reason we're still talking about it. Is conflict a, a necessary part of uncertainty? Is it, is it a positive part of uncertainty? Well, I've talked about the space of possibilities that is uncertainty because, um, you know, by definition, uncertainty is uh, the human response to the unknown. It's basically recognizing you're reaching the limits of your knowledge. It's say, sort of, kind of saying it could be this way, it could be that way. So you can see why it's infused with possibilities. Well, part of that possibility, especially socially, is uh, conflict or differences. And so in particularly in the workplace, it's fascinating because uh, often workplaces are really bent now amidst the wonderful gains in diversity that we have, they, people are also trying to shut down on differences and disagreements. You know, we are family or let's hire for fit or et cetera. Well, in situations when groups are in accord, mm. in agreement, actually there are incredible changes to the brain. The brain becomes a little less active. Uh, and then the group becomes less able to share deep information. Um, it becomes more at, in more inaccurate they they don't you know find the mistakes they're sort of hanging out within what they in the zone of what they already know that kind of i call it the love seat of accord but if you as a group are more able and willing to air differences to listen to dissent to have you know judicious respectful conflict that is uh something that instigates uncertainty basically the group it's not because someone rides in waving the flag of the right answer. It's not because the best side wins, as we often think arguments are. It's really the best arguments and the best collaboration comes from having someone jolt the group with their uh, difference and then push the group into uncommon ground is what I call it. That's the space where people know that they don't know and they are begin questioning and, and begin surfacing information. And this is true of the Supreme Court, of climbers on Mount Everest, of jurors and uh, people, scientists in the space program. And one uh, mission, a famous multi-year mission in the United States, the Mars Explorer Rover mission that put those first rovers on Mars. Uh, in discussions between these diverse scientists, 20% of their conversations, scientists found, were uh, matter uh, involved conflict, and then all of those situations included expressions of uncertainty. So they were unearthing uh, what they didn't know, and only then could they move on. And that was a really important part of that mission. They they hung on to the their uncertainty or their ability to um you know have conflict that that involved uncertainty that was a really important dynamic and that's why they were successful a lot of I'm a parent a lot of us wonder what our children will end up doing as jobs how you can possibly prepare them for a world which is changing so fast um in large part due to artificial intelligence and, and I think you maybe believe that uncertainty may be the key to keeping up and and to the skill that may be worth nurturing. 
Oh, absolutely. I think it's the way forward. And I think we do need to have better discussions around respect for uncertainty. Uh, I don't like the word comfort particularly, although I used it. Uh, it you know, when you are tolerant, uh, when you can harness uncertainty productively, uh, you're actually um, seeing it as a challenge, not a threat. Uh, so it's no not the not easy street, but neither is life. <laughs> life is not easy street. So I would say there's two aspects to that question. I mean, first of all, let's teach our children uh, to try the unknown, to not stick with what they know. You know, uh, to you know push them incrementally to keep trying something new. It could be a new food. It could be a trip to a foreign country. Uh, it could be just a new sport, etc. That's a very very important way to bolster kids' uh, ability to contend with uncertainty in, in wonderful ways. Um, I think we also need to change our vocabulary about what thinking is. I mean, we stick very closely to these ideas of thinking is goal-oriented and it's, you know, step-by-step step and it's a kind of a template and you apply some rubric and then you get the better solution. Really, there's a lot more to it than that. And science is now casting a huge spotlight on the liminal areas of thinking, uh, everything from the daydream and how important that is to human identity and creativity uh, to uh, basically uh, not the not knowing that allows you, as I mentioned, to be tolerant of another's views. So we have to we have to scale down from this talk about uh, a narrow definition of knowledge and certainty as being the way to be and and open up our hearts and minds and our eyes to a whole nother way of not knowing and that adds to our ability to really flourish. And I also think, as you've mentioned so rightly, uh, watch the phone use because there's just a lot of indicators that that you know narrows our perspective and uh, use of the phones, especially with kid kids, is thought by psychologists to um, be a kind of certainty seeking behavior. In other words, they're not able to uh, experience the the just the daily unknowns that come at them when they always have an app. You know, it's sort of like being lost in the woods and uh, you know finding your way out through figuring it out and being observant and et cetera versus just uh, getting the answer programmed on the phone. And of course, we need the phones and I and I love it all. The technology is glorious, but when it kind of inhibits our ability to see all sorts of other, ways of being and to utilize our human, often messy, you know, gray area uh, uh, types of cognitive skills, well, then that's something to think twice about. Hey, great chat. Well done on the book. It's called Uncertain, The Wisdom and Wonder of Being Unsure. And I've been talking to author and journalist Maggie Jackson. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Jesse. Great to be with you. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is 
absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah. And under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.